0: Well, good morning on this chilly morning in Aubrey, Texas. This morning I want to talk about depression, but I want to talk about bridging the gap between denial and trust. Because sometimes we can, sometimes we say that we're trusting God, but are we really trusting God? So this, hopefully this will help you to understand the difference between denial and standing in faith because sometimes we're in denial and we can tell by the symptoms that we have. Denial can cause depression, anxiety and fear but standing in faith requires a true representation that God has our best interest in mind. He will make a way where there seems to be no way. Even when trial is taking a long time to resolve itself God will make a way and we have to stand. But if we're standing in denial, sometimes we stand and think we're in faith, but we have sleepless nights, we're depressed, we lash out at our our friends or our mate. There's things that we do that that should give you a trigger and tell you, I'm not in faith because faith has righteousness, peace, and joy. Trusting God always produces peace. Trusting God always produces joy. We trust God and then we move on. We have the power to change our mind, but it's about our circumstances. We have the power, not necessarily to change the circumstances, but sometimes we have to change our mind about what we think about our circumstance. Because you can get sucked, depression. I mean, we could look around this morning and get depressed. Right? You can. You can get depressed. But you've got to choose joy and peace and life. Amen? Because when you start to look around at your circumstance, then you start to take matters into your own hands and say, well, you know, maybe I should do this or maybe I should do that. If we want peace, we must be assured that God has delivered us. In Colossians 1:12 through 13 it says giving thanks unto the Father which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in in light who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. He's translated us already and he says who has delivered us. We've already been delivered. If you're going through a trial, already been delivered. And now you need to walk it out. What is the kingdom? Romans 14, 17, For the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Kingdom living does not deny problem, but it celebrates the problem solver. We can't deny that this nation is in a total mess right now. But we can celebrate the problem solver. The Israelites, which we're going to, one of my favorite things to minister on is the story of Exodus. The Israelites lived under Egyptian bondage, and they allowed themselves to become slaves. And we can learn from them by studying their story. Now, of course, they didn't have um, the Bible to look at. We know the end of the story. So it's kind of like a cheat sheet. You know, it's an open book test because we have the book. We have the end of the story. They didn't have the luxury of having a Bible. So before we get on to them about their lack of faith, let's just remember where they were. Denying a problem only makes the problem bigger and harder to resolve. Sometimes pride and fear causes a person to deny that there's a problem. For example, uh, if there's a noise in your engine that you know it signifies a problem, some people, I knew a guy long long time ago, he just turned up the radio. And turning up the radio does not solve the problem. Okay, ignoring the noise, hoping it'll go away will only make it cost more somewhere down the road. You know, ignoring a problem in your marriage, you turn up the radio or do something else, it's only going to cause a bigger problem later on down the road. Ignoring a symptom in your body, is only going to cause problems later on down the road. Some people are too ashamed or they're too religious to admit there's a problem and they need help. Don't be ashamed if you have a problem, find somebody that you trust and say, I have a problem. And we had something really simple happen the other night. The cat was out and it was like 30 degrees. I love that cat with all my heart. I don't know why, because he can be such a pain in the neck sometimes. He walks all over you trying to study, and he wants to sit on your lap and hit the keyboard and play with your feet. But I, I love that cat, and it was really cold. It was that night. I think it was was it Sunday or Saturday night. I don't know. But he went out because he knows I love this cat, and he loves the cat, too. He's out whistling for the cat when it's 11 degrees out looking for him, and nothing. The cat just wasn't anywhere to be found. And I finally said, just, can we just pray? And we've done this before. We've prayed. Cause I, and I said, Lord, I'm not in faith right now. I'm really scared for this cat. Can you please send angels to bring this cat home? And he came home reluctantly. You could tell he wasn't really happy about it. I said, the angel probably carried him right down the corridor to the door and plopped him in and said, now you behave yourself. But sometimes we're too ashamed or too religious to admit there's a problem. You know, we're ashamed. We're supposed to be Christians. We're supposed to have all the answers. No, we have the problem solver. We don't have all the answers. And, and it doesn't hurt to say, I'm really not in faith of, about this. You know, I have this, I have this lump on my arm, and I'm not in faith about it. Can you please pray with me and help me? And, and I'm going to do my best to bulk up my faith. But right now, I just don't have it. I just don't have it. And there's no, no shame in that. We can't be spiritual all the time. I mean, it would be nice, but we are human beings. We all fall. And, and sometimes people have made people to be so ashamed and feel so bad if they, if they admit that they've got a problem. And so they hide it. And then it gets worse. And then it causes anxiety and depression and stress. And you'll see... If, if you've been following everything and taking notes, you'll see that there's a lot of these symptoms really signify a lot of things. Like we'll talk about stress. And when we talked about bitterness and unforgiveness, stress, all these things are interrelated. See, the enemy just wants to get your focus off of God and onto your circumstances. And then he'll discourage you. He'll anger you. He'll put you under stress. Whatever he can to get your focus off of God. And so we can't, you know. People shouldn't feel unspiritual just because they need help with a problem. If I need help lifting something, I'm going to ask my husband because he's bigger and stronger than I am. I'm not ashamed, or I'll, or I'll ask Doris, who could outlift just about anybody. <laughs> she really, she's really a strong. I, I wouldn't want to get in a physical fight with you. <laughs> <laughs> and i pity the person who thinks that they could win over you cuz you they would they would be a beat up person but as the problem is denied consequences for the denial grow bigger every day we can't just deny that we have a problem that's that's not a good thing and it what it does is you know sometimes it prolongs the trial because we're we're in denial when god wants us to humble ourselves and ask for help and we haven't done it so we don't want to do it. Don't settle for any course of action until you have real peace about it. And we've said that over and over and over and we're going to continue to say it. Don't get bullied or pushed into doing something just because somebody else is having anxiety about what you should or shouldn't be doing. If you have peace in yourself, if you've got that lump, and you have peace that God's going to take care of it, don't let somebody push you off your faith. But if you don't have peace about it and somebody's saying you should see a doctor about it, you better maybe go see the doctor about it because God uses doctors. Amen? We're not against doctors or medicine or anything that can help to relieve the symptoms. But if you don't have peace about something... Or somebody's pushing you. You know, when you go to buy a car, have you ever bought a car? and I've walked out of places because the salesperson has been so pushy. You know, it's like I'm just looking. I bought my car in 1990 from a salesman. I had gone a year before, and I talked to this woman, and I said, I just want to see what you have, and I just want to do my budget and see what I've got. And um, I said, I don't want you calling me harassing me, or I'll never buy a car from you. And she was great. She didn't call me. She did call me about a year later, and she said, I just want you to know that Honda has a 0% for the month of April, so if you're still thinking about buying, you might want to consider buying now. And I went up and I bought the car from her because she hadn't pushed me. And, you know, they don't people push you. They don't have your best interest in mind most of the time. <clears throat> but don't be double-minded if you're standing in faith then don't be double-minded double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways not just some of his ways he's unstable God says if, if you're double-minded you say yes today and no tomorrow you're just unstable in all of your ways so if you're like that then fix it confess it and say God I'm unstable I'm double-minded I say yes I say no I don't know what I'm doing And God will help you. God has got the grace for everything that you're facing to help you get through to the next level. Hopelessness and despair causes depression. Some people get into a depression. They don't even want to leave their house. We see a lot of this with COVID, with people that have been isolated for, it was supposed to be what, 15 days to slow the spread. It's been like, what, three years now or two years, whatever it is. We're still dealing with it. And a lot of people are depressed. People are afraid. And it's a plan to keep people apart from other people. You need healthy relationships. You need a healthy root system. Hopelessness, the definition is having no expectation or having an unreal, unreal – reasonable expectation that is not from God. Something that will never be fulfilled. Something you desire but can't have at the very minute you want it. See, you can get hopeless over something that God said you can have it, but he he might give you a delay in it. And you might feel hopeless because it's taken longer than what you want it to take. Or something that you aren't supposed to have, An example is Ahab in the Bible. He wasn't supposed to have Naboth's vineyard. That wasn't his vineyard to have. But he became depressed because he couldn't have what he wanted. So we have to learn when we're depressed, we have to examine it and say, All right, self, why are you depressed? Is it because of a divine delay or is it just selfishness? Is it something you're depressed about that you really shouldn't have no business having in the first place? Find it in the Word, then you can reasonably expect it if you meet the conditions for it and have patience to achieve it. Sometimes we lack patience. And our lack of patience can cause us to do a whole bunch of dumb things that later on, what's it say? Marry in haste, repent in leisure. I think that's what it is. But that's for none of us (laughs) in here. That's for those that are listening by And by CD, I guess. All right, so hope is confident expectation. And the, the word is confident. We're not just saying, oh, I hope God comes through for me. No, we're saying God will come through for me because he says it in the word. God says he will make a way where there is no way. And I'm standing on with my back to the Red Sea expecting the Red Sea to open up because I have that confident expectation in God. We expect God to do what He says He would do once we do what we are supposed to do. See sometimes we don't do our part. like God might be saying, do this and we're not doing it, so we're delaying, we're holding up our our own thing. Ephesians 2:10 through 13 says, for we are God's handiwork, his workmanship recreated in Christ Jesus, that we may do good works, which God predestined for us beforehand, that we should walk in them. Remember that you were at, at that time separated from Christ, excluded from all parts in him, utterly estranged and outlawed from the rights of Israel as a nation and strangers with no share in the sacred compacts of the messianic promise. With no knowledge or right of God in agreements, his covenants. And you had no hope, no promise. You were in the world without God. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once so far away through the blood of Christ has been brought near. Once we had no hope. So now that we have hope, don't lose your hope. Hold on to your hope. The devil tries to keep you looking at your past And he presents your future and your present just like your past. That you'll never change. It'll never get better. Some things might get better, but this one thing that you're dealing with, it's never going to get better. You might as well just resign yourself to the fact this is all the way it's going to be. You better not ask for help for it because then people are going to know that you're not the Christian that you say you are. See, those are all things from the enemy. To keep you where you're at. To keep you down to keep you depressed, to keep you away from help, not to push you toward help. He wants people to be weighted down. And what we're supposed to be weighted down with is the glory of God, not the weight of this world. We're supposed to be weighted with the glory. You know, I, I stressed out when my daughter was coming. I was a little bit anxious a couple of days because I, when she comes... She and I are polar opposites. She's a progressive. I don't agree with anything. She doesn't agree with anything with me. We've had our issues over the past. So when she comes, uh, even though I'm excited about it, it's kind of uncomfortable sometimes because there's a difference in big things, difference in God, different in, you know, what's going on in the country. And I was getting really anxious about it. And then I had a revelation from God. Because every time she comes, I would pray and say, God, please make me a good witness for her. I want to be a good witness. You know, I'll open my mouth. I'll say whatever. But then I would get like walking on eggshells when she's there. And it would be like kind of on the inside. I'd be all stressed out because I didn't want to say the wrong thing. But this time the Lord spoke to me, not like spoke to me, but I heard in my spirit. And the Lord said, it's the Holy Spirit's job to draw, not mine. So the pressure was off of me because I could pray different and say, Holy Spirit, you can draw my daughter. You can draw her, and I don't have to be involved in it. See, sometimes we think we have to do it ourselves and take it into our own hands, and it creates a heaviness and a depression to the point where I almost was not looking forward to having her come because I didn't want to feel like that again. But if, if it's on the Holy Spirit... He can draw her, and then I'm free of it because I can really cast it onto Him and let Him do it. And then if God moved on me to say something, then I'd be free to say it. But I didn't have to be under pressure that it was all on me to do it. Do you, do you understand what I'm talking about or see what I mean? He says in Matthew 11, 28, 30, He says, Come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The rest, Jesus promises, is a release from the drudgery of sin, not from service to God. You are under a yoke which make you, makes you weary, Jesus said. Shake that off. Remember we do that, shake off those heavy bands? Shake that off and try my yoke. It will make you easy. See, we're supposed to be yoked up with Christ, just like that oxen. If they're unequally yoked, one of those oxens is pulling hard, and and that other oxen is going behind because it might even be just like maybe 50 pounds lighter than the other oxen. But to be equally yoked means that we walk together. And Christ says, take my yoke upon you. Well, that means that we're equally yoked with Christ. Because if we weren't equally yoked, then he'd have to be pulling us. But we're equal in this. And no, you know, don't get into the little God theory and everything else. But he says, take my yoke upon you. Take his, take his yoke so that you can be equal, that you can walk side. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. The devil wants his yoke on you because it's too heavy. And in that case, when you're yoked up with the devil, he's pulling you because that yoke is heavy. You're the one that's dragging. You're dragging along and you're going, "Uh, uh, oh, this is too hard. It's too heavy. It is too heavy. That's what the devil intends for you to have is depression and heaviness and these things that weigh you down so he can yoke up with you and just drag you along and tell you what to do. No, we're to be yoked up with Christ. We tell the devil what to do. We tell him he's defeated. We tell him to get under our feet. We tell him that the blood of Jesus has already conquered him. Is this helping anybody? Feeling overburdened is not from God. Don't let him overwhelm you with prob- saying your problem is too big, too hard, too long, too much for you to be solved. He's a master at working in our emotions so that we become anxious, stressed out, or in a state of denial. We become numb. Have you ever been numb? I've been numb. Things have just been too hard. So you kind of just like have this happy face when you're out in the public. But this is all all the that we're teaching here is what's it like for you when nobody is looking? Because that's, that's what... That's what it's all about. That's to get you healed on the inside when nobody else is looking and nobody else sees your pain. So we're going to talk about the taskmaster. And to oppression is the burdensome, unjust exercise of authority or power. So that's oppression, and we can see that all over the the world right now. Different countries. The French president said he's, you know, mad at the un it, and he's going to teach them a lesson. You know, Canada, I mean, it's all over the world. They made a sheep. Um, you know how they do things from the air so you can see it? Well, they made sheep in a formation of a of a, of a syringe in Germany to try to get people to be vaccinated. I mean, you got to laugh at some of these things. They'd be... Actually, they would be funny if it wasn't so serious. You know, I mean, it's like sheep. I mean, But, I mean, it's kind of apropos because if people are sheep, then you would look at this. But, I mean, it, it's cr- what's happening now is so crazy and it's just so strange. But the whole bottom line is oppression to get people who aren't getting in get them in line. And they're going to do whatever they have to do. To, to oppress. They want to be a heavy burden, way down, crush, to oppress and to subject people to, un, to burdens, undue exercise of authority. The taskmaster, who we're going to talk about, is a person who functions to assign tasks to others, especially burdensome ones, a person who regularly supervises the works of others. We don't ever want to be a taskmaster. We want to be good leaders. Amen. So we're going to talk about Jacob. And I'm going to not read everything. I've got it outlined in red because if I did, I told Clarence, I said, this is like a nine-page outline if I read it. So you can go back and read the book of Exodus yourself. But, and, and you know the story. All of Jacob's son had gone, sons had gone to Egypt because of the famine. And Egypt represents the world system. Now at the end of Genesis, there were seventy descendants of Jacob that went that lived in Egypt, so only seventy that were in Egypt. And the Bible says that grew into a strong people. So they went grew into there were millions of them. I mean they grew and multiplied and and you think about Christians where there were seventy elders of the church and everything and what's happened in the New Testament, when there were 70 elders and apostles and all these disciples, Christianity has grown into a strong movement. They can't stop it. They can ban the Bible. They can do whatever they want to do with it. But Christians keep getting born again. People keep coming into the kingdom. They can't crush it. They can't stop it. And this, if you look at the parallel... From the book of Acts to here, there were 70 there. There are 70 here that started out. And what did the devil do? He tried to crush. And this is how he did it. And so this is how we can see the parallels. The Pharaoh sought to suppress the, the Israelites economically by charging them heavy taxes that they couldn't keep up with. He found no reason to war with them, so he sought to defeat them economically. First thing. The taskmasters were made were to make their lives so bitter to break their spirits and rob them of hope for a good future. See, these are the things we have to know right now in what we're dealing with. Suppression is the beginning stage of depression. Suppression is pressure applied to a person, allowing the devil or the taskmaster to captivate the person with their own feelings thus allowing the devil to control your thoughts and bring depression. Take his yoke upon you, and you're going to be dragged all over the place because you're no match for the devil. By recognizing this tactic of the devil, you can have victory. God calls you to be more than a conqueror, but a depressed person gives up easily because they don't feel like a victorious person. Remember, we have to learn to walk by faith and not by sight. It's a learning thing. We want to shore up that faith in the evil time that we're going in. Do you people that are they celebrated the new year like, oh, you know, 2021 was so bad, but 2022 will be better And it's like uh, it'll be better in some ways in the fact that we're going to grow stronger in the Lord, but it, don't count on things to be better in the world. You know, probably at this point, not happening. So what's our next thing is that we need to shore up the foundation of our own houses. And we need to be strong. And because we are victorious, it doesn't matter what happens in this world, we are victorious. If we remain steadfast, if we keep our eyes on the Lord, if we don't waver, we will have the victory and we're going to finish strong. So how could the Egyptians enslave the Israelites when the Israelites were stronger and more numerous? The Egyptians had to convince the Israelites that they were slaves. They had to convince them. How does the devil do it today? He convinces you that you're a slave, that you've taken his yoke. Now he's got the right to pull you around. So let's look at the difference between a slave and a servant. A slave. Person entirely under the domination of some influence or person, a drudge. To enslave means to make a slave or to reduce to slavery. Bondage, slavery or involuntary servitude. Captive, a prisoner, person who is captivated or dominated. Captive audience, a person who has entered into a situation for a particular person or a particular purpose. As on a bus or a restaurant, or in this case, in this world right now, we're kind of captive audiences in a way. I mean, we could say that we're captive audiences. It's not like we can go anywhere else. I mean, you could go, my daughter flew to Boston yesterday. You can fly around the world, but you still have to land on the world. Sometimes we're in this world, but we're not of this world. So... Are we captive audiences? Yeah, kind of. I guess we could say that. But people who are captive in their own mind have no opportunity to exercise their free will, and that's the difference we're supposed to dominate in this world. Captivity can be real or imagined, but it feels real either way. The devil would love you to believe that there is no way out for you. It's like, all right, well, you are a captive audience here, so just you know, do what I tell you to do. And everything will be all right. It's what they said in March when they rolled out these vaccines. Well, if you get the vaccine, everything will be all right. And, and then it's like, well, if you get the booster, everything's going to be all right. And, uh, well, no, um, we vaccinated people should wear masks. And, um, oh, yeah, if your kids are playing with unvaccinated kids, no. So it was a lie, and it's always a lie because the devil's never satisfied. A servant, however, is a person employed by another or in service of another. We're supposed to be servants to the Lord and servants to one another. Romans 6:14 through15 says, "For sin shall not any longer have dominion over you, since you are now not under law as slaves, but under grace as subjects of God's favor and mercy. What then are we to conclude? Shall we sin because we don't live under the law, but under God's favor and mercy? Certainly not. Do you know that if you continually surrender yourselves to anyone to do his will, you are slaves of him whom you obey, whether that be to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness, right standing and right right doing with God? So even though we're not under law anymore, we're not slaves. See, we're, not, we're no longer slaves. We're no longer being pulled around. But we can choose to go back that way because God's not going to override our free will. Galatians 5.1, In this freedom Christ has made us free and completely liberated us. Stand fast then and do not be hampered and held ensnared and submit again. To a yoke of slavery, which you once put off. We were once led around, and we didn't even know it, did we? When we were sinners, we didn't know we were being led around. We thought we were doing our own thing. And if you look at some of these people that are in the other camp, they say the same thing. It's the same spirit. I was showing Clarence something with one of the kids, and I said, This sounds just like my friend kid. They all say the same thing. They all say the same. They all have the same demeanor. They all have the same why. Because they're being led around by the same devil. They have that same yoke and they don't even realize it. They think they're being, you know, counterculture or whatever. But they're really conforming to the yoke of slavery that they're under. And they don't even know it. Galatians 5.5 says, For we not relying on the law, but through the Holy Spirit's help, by faith anticipate and wait for the blessing and good for which our righteousness and right standing with God, our conformity to His will and purpose, thought and action, causes us to hope. So the more we conform to God's will, the more peace, the more joy, the more love we're going to have. So back to the Israelites. Once they submitted to Egyptian captivity, They went from being victorious to being victims. When you submit to captivity, and this is such a, it's a victim society, and they've submitted to captivity. And that's when I look at people and, and, you know, they're perpetual victims. You know, they're in their 40s and 50s, and they're still blaming their parents for the way they are. You know, I want to slap people like that. You know, it's like, come on. You know, you've had enough time on this earth to get get this stuff straightened out from your childhood. You know, that you didn't get the pony you wanted when you were four and you're still, you know, now you're 45 and still, you know, blaming your parents about it. You know, but they, why? Because they've gone to victim status. They're not victorious and after generations of this, the only thing the Israelites knew to do was to cry to God because they couldn't free themselves. They lost the ability to free themselves. They had been stripped of their resources, and God had to send a deliverer from, the outs- from outside the Hebrew people. He couldn't send somebody from the inside. Why? Because they all felt like victims. So you'd have the blind leading the blind. It had to be one that identified with them. So God's man, Moses, was a type of Christ, our deliverer. Although Moses was a Hebrew by birth, he was not trained in the Hebrew mindset. And that's a big thing. He was not trained to be a slave. Why? Because he was raised in Pharaoh's house. He was raised as a king, to be a king. He was a prince. Although Moses was a Hebrew by birth, not trained in the Hebrew's mindset, And Moses could then deliver others because he didn't have a slave mentality. He did not come from that line of thinking. He was raised to be the next leader of Egypt. So God had to send somebody just like God sent Jesus. Jesus could identify with us, but Jesus wasn't one of us because he didn't. Even though we could identify with him, he didn't allow that nature that was inside of him to make him a victim. And if you can write this down, Numbers 12, 1 through 8, if you're taking notes. When Miriam and Aaron were speaking against Moses because he married an Ethiopian woman, God testified to Moses' faithfulness. God came down. Because don't think that just because you say something and nobody else hears it but the other person. God hears it. And this is proof right here. Because Moses and um, Miriam and Aaron were talking among themselves and God showed up and this is what he said about Moses he said and the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam and they both came forth can you imagine that there you are gossiping about your brother who he married a black woman Ooh, that's bad I wonder what was Moses thinking blah, 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 blah. well then God all of a sudden shows up I'm sure they changed right away And God said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision, and I will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all my house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? I'm sure they were speechless at that point. And then you know what happened. Miriam got leprosy, and then Moses, he interceded for her, which showed the goodness of Moses, because I don't know if I would have been that gracious. I might have said, just let her suffer then. But I guess I I better fix myself in that area and not be so mean. So meekness in the Hebrew... Is depressed in mind, gentle of circumstances, needy, especially saintly, humble, lowly, meek and poor. And one of the byproducts of meekness is faithfulness. To be meek and faithful is to be servant-minded. The depressed in that definition means to depress or deny ourselves. So we, we depress ourselves in meekness. In other words, when you're depressed, it's because... It's all about you. You're looking at your circumstances through your eyes. What can I do to fix it? And maybe God's an afterthought. But we have to take all that. We have to depress it down. And we have to look and see what God has for us. The depressed means to deny ourselves. And this is interesting. In Vine's dictionary, meekness is described, is not readily expressed in English For the terms meekness, mildness, commonly used, suggest weakness to a greater or lesser extent. Where that word does nothing of the kind, nevertheless, it is difficult to find a rendering less open to objection than meekness, gentleness has been suggested. But as this word is described, a condition of mind and heart, and as gentleness is appropriated rather to actions, this word is no better than than. That used in both English versions. It must be clearly understood, therefore, that the meekness manifested by the Lord and commanded to the believer is the fruit of power. Meekness is the fruit of power. And that's why the devil wants you depressed and not meek. The common assumption is that when a man is meek, it is because he cannot help himself. But the Lord was meek because he had the infinite resources of God at his command. Described negatively... Meekness is the opposite to self-assertiveness and self-interest. It is the spirit that is neither elated nor cast down simply because it is not occupied with self at all. And that's what we have to be, is not occupied with ourselves at all. The Israelites, now we're going to get back to the story. The Israelites were overworked so hard by Pharaoh, they cried out to God for deliverance. But when they cried out to him, they didn't recognize who he was because they didn't know who he was. They didn't know him. They just knew of a God that would help them. Their motive was only for God to release them from their physical hardships and captivity. Unfortunately, their relationship with God didn't go any further than God being a deliverer to them. Because you can see it all through the story. They cried out when they got in trouble, but they didn't really want to know God. They just wanted help. It's like the person who comes to church—they want help, they get help, they get relief from whatever is bothering them. Then you don't see them again for a couple of months. Then they get in trouble, and then they come back again. See, they didn't really want to know Jesus. They just wanted the help that would provide. And you could see that all the time with people that you know want money from church. They'll call the church wanting help with a bill. And I always say, well, you know, have you seen? Have you talked to your church? And I know the answer. I mean, I just ask them that because you're calling a church, so you're, you're, you want to talk to me. So I get to ask the questions if you want money from me. You know, well, what about your church? Well, I don't go to church. What makes you think that <laughs> we should help you? If you don't go to church, ask your, you know, maybe you should start going and, Start learning about God and start believing God. And I don't say it that rudely, but that's basically people calling and wanting money. It's like, well, you know, why? Well, because they want help or they want the deliverer, just like the Israelites. See, they're, they're no different how many thousands of years ago. They're no different than people are now. They just wanted God to help them, to to deliver them. And once God delivered them, they forgot about them. Consequently, they didn't have a sustaining relationship with God when it got tough for them. So they kept getting in trouble all the time because their unbelief kept making them get into trouble. People come to church when they're in need. Trouble subsides. They're nowhere to be found. People are your best friend as long as you have money. When you stop giving them money, then... They're nowhere to be found. Why? Because there's no relationship. When God spoke to Moses about delivering him, and yet through all that, the mercy of God, because God did it anyways, didn't he? So sometimes God is so merciful to us, even in our our stubborn, pig-headed, selfish ways. God shows us mercy. And that ought to have all of us running to the altar just with our hands raised saying, God, thank you for those times when you showed me mercy because all I needed, all I wanted was your hand. And you gave it to me and you showed mercy. And God stretched out his hand to the Israelites. But he's told Moses that Pharaoh would not willingly let them go. He told them, he says, Pharaoh's not going to willingly let you go, but I'm going to deliver you. Okay. So when Moses and Aaron went to deliver, went to the Israelites, and that's um, Exodus 3:19 through 22. And when Moses went and Aaron went to the Israelites to relay the good news of the deliverance, the Bible says people received the news well, they were glad. They're like, "Yay, God's going to do it! Yay, God!" But that was chapter three. He didn't deliver them till chapter 12, and there's a whole lot of mess in between. This was a divine delay in which God brought ten plagues to the Egyptians, and the Egyptians brought more physical misery misery to the Israelites. Aaron, in chapter 4, 30 to 31, Aaron spoke all the words which the people spoke to Moses and did signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the Israelites, that he had looked in compassion upon their affliction, they bowed their heads in worship, only until the trial started. And see, they became depressed. But this was God's intention. He told them first that he was going to do it. But so when the trials came, the people were supposed to have confidence that God would do it. He gave us the book of Revelation. He gave us the end times when he told us in Matthew 24 what to expect. But he said that he would deliver us. And he's told us these things ahead of time because he knew there would be a bumpy road in the times we're living. The Israelites needed to trust God no matter what happened, but they didn't. They whined and they cried and they accused Moses and Aaron. This was... An attempt to discourage them and to depress them. Pharaoh made physically impossible demands on them to break their spirit to keep them oppressed. And he wanted them to forget what God had said. We can't forget in this time what God is saying. God said, I will protect you. I will. If the waters are going over you, I will be there. If you walk through the fire, I will be there. God will be there with us. And we have to settle it in our spirits. And we have to do it rather quickly. Because things are coming on this earth that we don't have, uh, we can't even imagine what's coming. You may step out in faith when you receive a word from God or a revelation of the word. You may begin to act on the word, but before the manifestation of the fulfillment of the promise, there is increased enemy activity to get you back into captivity. He always wants his subjects back. He wants you to be captive to doubt, fear, and unbelief. The devil wants you to forget that God is bigger than whatever you are facing. And whatever you see is always subject to change. Whatever, if you can see it, it's subject to change. If you can look around and see empty pews, it's subject to change. Amen? And 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18 verifies it. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and our momentary troubles are achieving for us an external glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We fix our eyes upon what we can't see. We fix our eyes on obeying God no matter what. We don't look at what's going on in this world. We have to be wise. I mean, we have to kind of know what's going on, but we don't have to get consumed by it and weighted down by what's going on. So this was Pharaoh's answer in Exodus 5. He says, You shall no more give the people straw to make bricks. Let them go ahead and gather straw for themselves. And at the end of that, it says, Pharaoh says you are idle, lazy and idle. Has anybody ever told you you are lazy and you're working your head off or you're doing something? And it's like, well, why are you idle? They said that to Martha and Mary when Mary was just sitting there on Jesus' feet. And Martha got mad and said, she's so idle. Well, no, she was storing up things, getting food. Why are you coming here on a Wednesday morning? You should be doing something else. You're so lazy just sitting there. But that's the way Pharaoh is. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Get out now and get to work, for no straw shall be given to you, yet you shall deliver the full quota of bricks. And the Hebrew foreman saw that they were in an evil situation when it was said, you shall not diminish in the least your fully daily quota of bricks. The taskmasters did everything they could to break the spirit of the people, and they did succeed. It evidently wasn't too hard because they could have stood up. Have you ever figured why millions of Hebrews would put themselves under bondage in the first place when that first happened? How did that happen? Why didn't they stand up when they could stand up? When Moses went back to the Lord, God said, Go tell the people that I will deliver them with a strong hand. God never changed. I mean God wasn't in some kind of a oh no, what is Pharaoh doing now? I didn't foresee that. God didn't change. God said, Go back and tell him, I will deliver them. God, he changes not, the Bible says. Hebrews thirteen five, I am the Lord, I change not. Maybe it's eight. I can't remember exactly, but it's in Hebrews 13. He is the Lord. He said he would deliver them, and he meant what he said. He, and that's in Exodus 6, 1 through 9. Now you see what I will do to Pharaoh. For compelled by a strong hand, he will not only let them go, but he will drive them out of the land with a strong hand. God wasn't fooling around with this. And then Moses told this to the Israelites later on in that verse, in chapter nine, in verse 9, but they refused to listen to Moses because of their impatience and anguish of spirit and because of their cruel bondage. They didn't listen to the words of life because of what they were having to go through. We need to listen to the words of life today. God says he will never leave us nor forsake us. He'll always be with us. God gave them a word to rejoice with, but the Israelites were too busy trying to comply with the enemy's demand to make bricks without straw. They said, oh, Moses, we're too busy. We can't, you know, your God didn't do anything for us. We got to go and comply so we can save our lives. They continued to look at their present circumstances and not the promise that God had made to deliver them out of the Egyptians' hands. They became de- depressed in their spirits and could not overcome what they had to endure. When the devil took away their resources, instead of standing up, they tried to reason how they could conform to the devil. Okay, well, we're going to send out the four-year-olds can go over there and get straw, and they can do this and that. Well, if, probably if they had stood up. They would have probably shortened the the book of Exodus a little bit and said, No, we're not doing this. Our God said He's gonna deliver us by a strong hand. Take that. But instead they were like, Oh, now we gotta make bricks without straw. What is Moses thinking? Always turn around and accuse the leader. Because God said it, He meant it. So well we don't see God, but we see Moses and you know, what what is he doing? What is he doing? And all through the story, you can see, they're always turning around. Well, it was better in Egypt when we were in slavery because at least we had leeks and onions. It's like, is that what you want to eat? Versus milk and honey? Okay. Think about it. But see, when you're being pulled around by that heavy yoke, that's what you say. You say dumb things like that. Depression and anxiety want you to figure out what you can do in your present impossible circumstance. Always forgetting that God is in control and he will help you. Don't be depressed over your circumstance. Give it to God. He will help you. Circumstances are used by God to help mature us, to help grow us up, to help us develop a deeper relationship with him. God wanted to develop a personal relationship with with the Israelites and they refused because they saw they saw the hardness of the trail they saw the hardness and then in Exodus 13 when Pharaoh finally freed the Israelites God took them a long way around to Canaan to Canaan and I'm going to read that in Exodus 13:17 and 18 when Pharaoh let the people go God led them not by the way of the land of the Philistines although that was nearer For God said, lest the people change their purpose when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the Israelites went up, marshaled in ranks out of the land of Egypt. God took them the long way around because he knew they were not ready to battle the giants yet. See, God's mercy and his care, we don't understand just how much God loves us and sometimes it's like, well, this would have been shorter to do. You know, why couldn't we have just taken the shortcut there? Well, no, if you'd seen e- if you had seen those giants, baby, you would have run the other way, back to Egypt before anything else. And then you would have cowered down and there would have been no hope for you because you never would have left Egypt if you had seen the giants. So, We'll never, we'll, we'll never leave the place where we're at if God shows us what's ahead. And who would have thought two years ago? Who would have thought any of this would have happened in this country? God took them a long way. His divine hand was on them during the whole trip. He knew they had been slaves for so long that they needed time to recuperate and begin to act like champions. There's always another fight up the, up the road for you. God sees it, and he knows what it will take to prepare you for the next battle. That's why we need to trust God's timing on everything. Don't get behind of, behind God and do nothing, but don't run out ahead either. Depression will make you get behind. It will make you coward. It will make you go back to Egypt. And then, when the Israelites got close to the Red Sea, they could see Pharaoh in pursuit, and once again, they complained to Moses. I mean, all they did was complain. God said he was going to deliver them. See, but they didn't they didn't get that in their spirit. They heard it, but they didn't hear it. And a lot of times we hear it, but we really didn't hear what he said. He said, with a strong hand, I was going to deliver them. I mean, what's stronger than the story of the Red Sea? I think that's spectacular. I love the version of the Ten Commandments where that opens up. It was done in 1957, 65 years ago. And that still, to me, is, is such an amazing scene that back then with their technology that they could do such an awesome thing. But when they got closer to the Red Sea, they could see Pharaoh in pursuit. And once again, they complained to Moses. When Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked up, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and the Israelites were exceedingly frightened and cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you treated us this way and brought us out of Egypt? We were happy to be slaves. All right, let's go back in time and let's look at the beginning of the story. You cried out and you asked God for help. Sometimes we ask God for help. We don't recognize the help that God sends. Sometimes we complain about the help that God sends. And then we say, why have you treated us like this, God? Just as in Exodus, God's ways are for the utter destruction of the enemy in your life. He's going to bring us to the Red Sea. See, all the Israelites, all throughout the book of Exodus, all they had to do was stand up and get, and get an agreement to, with what Moses and Aaron told them. I mean, would there have been consequences? There were consequences when they didn't stand up. You ever notice that there's just consequences when the enemy is involved? There's always bad things that happen. So what, what would happen if you stand up to a bully? If you stand up to a bully, it says, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. At any point in this story, the Israelites could have stand up and said, yeah, well, our God said he's going to deliver us with a strong hand instead of cowering. So here they are with their backs against the Red Sea. How awesome would it have been if they were not afraid and they just stood up and told Pharaoh to take Ike. You know, we've served you for, what, 400 years We've served you. We've done everything for you, and now God is going to let us go. You bully. Take that. Watch this. Watch our God get us out. Well, how's He going to do it? That's God's way. That's not our. That's not up to us. God can. God can do anything. He'll wipe you out. He'll just breathe on you, and you'll be gone. Wasn't the way God was going to do it. He's going to part the sea. That was right behind their backs. God is for the utter destruction. His plan is to lure the devil into a false sense of security that he has won, only to remind him of his utter and complete defeat at the cross. I and mean, this ought to be if you were depressed coming in, you shouldn't be depressed now because the devil's utterly defeated. You have a part to play in this. You have to trust and obey God and do not let your emotions rule. If you learn anything from Wednesday morning, do not let your emotions rule you. Tell your emotions to sit down, get a cup of tea, and get in line. Fully trusting God to deliver you out of your trouble will curb depression and anxiety in your life. But it's a walk. We have to learn. Just like when he brought them to the Red Sea, they had no idea what was going to happen. And they saw what was in their heart. See, they saw that they were not in belief, were they? Sometimes we get to the Red Sea and we have to examine what's in our heart. Is it unbelief or is it faith? And I want to leave you with this scripture, Colossians two thirteen and 15. For you who were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God brought to life together with Christ, having freely forgiven us all of our transgressions, having canceled and blotted out and wiped away the handwriting of the note with its legal decrees and demands, which was in force and stood against us, hostile to us. This note, with its regulations, decrees, and demands, he set aside and cleared completely out of our way by nailing it to his cross. God disarmed the principalities and powers that were ranged against us and made a bold display and public example of them in triumphing over over them in him and in it the cross." God's defeated your enemy. He said he will deliver us with a strong hand. We need to not be depressed about our circumstance. We need to be weighted by the glory. We need to shake off that yoke of bondage that the devil has put us into. We can have the joy of the Lord. We can have the peace of the Lord. We can have nights where we just sleep right through and don't have to, to get up in anxiety and crying because God said, I will help you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Amen? Well, I hope you got something out of it this morning. Pastor, would you like to close us out?
1: That's my favorite story in the Bible. (laughs) Well, not just a story, it's a fact. Amen. But you know, You don't go by what you see, by what you feel, or by what you hear. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word. Doubt, resentment, unbelief comes by hearing. But it's not the Word. (laughs) It's only what others' opinions are. So this morning, my opinion is not on what Their opinion is, my opinion is based on God's Word. And when you know what God said, and you know that you have followed God, and you have obeyed God, it doesn't matter what anybody says. I don't go by what I see, but what I feel, or what I hear. And neither should you. If somebody asks you, well, how did Wednesday morning go? Man, it was great. Why? Because the Word came forth. The Bible says where two or three are gathered together in His name, He's there in their midst. So we're not moved by crowds. We're not moved by unbelief. We're not moved by opinions. We're not moved by what we see or what we feel. We're not moved by what others think. It doesn't matter what others think. You know, what does it matter what other people think if they're not even part of us? Amen? What does it matter what people say if they're not here to even see what's going on? Hallelujah. (laughs) I'm just saying, keep your mouth shut, keep your ears open, and praise God. Amen? Because I know the Lord will make a way. I know the Lord will make a way for me. I know the Lord will make a way for me. If I live a holy life, shun the wrong and do the right, I know the Lord will make a way for me. Hallelujah. I believe that. My victory is not based on whether I've got a 100 people behind me, as long as I've got my wife beside me. <laughs> Amen. And we got the Word of God going in front of us, and the Spirit of God pushing us forward. God is on our side. If God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. Victory is not based on what you see, by what you feel, or by what you hear. It's based on what God has said and what He's already done. Hallelujah. And Father, we just thank You for Your Word this morning. Thank You for the power of God that flows. Thank You, Lord, that as we obey the Word, that we get the results of the Word. And Father, we just thank You for that in the name of Jesus. and just give You praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to God.